Good morning, everybody. So glad to be back here with you today. I just have to warn you, last night was Grace and Jake's wedding, and so with all the dancing and singing and stuff, my voice started to disappear. And then this morning, with the smoke and my allergies, my voice started to disappear even more. So if I sound like I'm going through puberty, or I also sound like I have a really deep voice, I'm sorry. So just bear with me on that end. I have a scenario I want you to think through as we get started this morning. So it's a beautiful fall morning. I just, I just want you to visualize this. It's a beautiful fall morning. You pull up to the local coffee shop. You're, you're about to meet with the friends that you haven't seen in years. So excited. You get out of your car, and from a long way off, you can already see this friend sitting at a table at the coffee shop. They look up from their phone. They start seeing you coming from a long way off, and with a giant smile on their face, they just start waving frantically. I'm sure most of you have seen someone do that at some point, that I'm so excited to see you wave frantically. So you walk in, you sit with your friend, you have an incredible conversation. You're there for over two hours. It just, the time just slipped by. You were just having such a wonderful time with this friend. So the next day, you run into another acquaintance, another friend who notifies you, that that friend you just spent two hours with the day prior, they shared every terrible detail about your life with this other person. You find out that this friend you thought was close to you, you spent all this time with, this supposed friend went behind your back and lied about you, did everything in their power to make you look bad. In one day, they figured out a way to ruin your entire reputation with several people all at one time. So hearing that, how do you feel? How how does a situation like that make you feel? How would you respond? You personally, how would you respond to a situation like this? What would you do? Within that response, what what are you going to go do with that? So I don't know about all of you, but... I'm not a fan of that. I'm not a huge fan of people smiling right to my face and then going behind my back and, and, and saying things and lying about me. That's just, I'm not, I'm not into it, especially when it's malicious. Back when I was younger, someone doing that would set me off to a whole nother level. Back when, when there was angry Steven, that, that is not something that would fly with me especially if it had something to do with hurting me, hurting my family in some way. I just, I was not about that. Talking bad about me to get their way, acting like my best friend. I've never, ever been a fan of that. Saying things to get people on their side, to look at me differently. Honestly, it's it's hard to even express. I feel like you can tell just by how I'm talking. It's it's hard to express how much that used to truly upset me. It never made sense. What's the point of the gossip? What's the point of trying to hurt someone in that way? What's the point of of being conniving and being fake? When I was younger, I would want revenge for that kind of thing. I I would want to be the judge, the jury, the executioner in any of those kinds of situations. Now, I'm not saying that right now I'm perfect at responding to these kind of situations at all. <laughs> but I can say, honestly, God's great. Sanctification's real, and he's consistently helping me in these areas, helping me to trust in him. 
Even when the world seems to, to be attacking me at every angle, it's awesome to see how God works, that I'm able to trust in him even in those times. But that doesn't mean that these situations don't still happen. For an example, two years ago, mind you, this was only two years ago, I had a man pull me aside. He let me know that his wife saw me do something that she didn't agree with. So instead of talking to me about it, the gossip train started. So I was informed that this specific issue had occurred six months prior to the conversation that he was having with me right then and there. And in that time, from what I understood, not only did he talk about it with his wife, but they went and talked about it with a bunch of other families who went and talked about it with a bunch of other families. And this was six months prior to them talking to me about it. To say the least, my initial response to this, it, was, it wasn't good. It wasn't great. Old Stephen came right back out. I kind of went into a little bit of a spiral. A little bit of anger came out. It, it just was, honestly, it was pure frustration at the fact that someone would do this to me. How dare you? In my anger, I lost sight of an extremely important truth, and that is that people are broken and sinful. People will hurt us. We're actually promised in Scripture. People are going to hurt us. God's the only one who can be the true rock. He's the only one that can actually be a true fortress who's never going to let us down. And God, we're secure in our salvation. Even when the world beats us down. It doesn't matter what the world does to us, we know that God is our rock. So honestly, I learned so much from this incident. I'm glad Chris is here because I learned a lot from Chris from this incident. <laughs> I learned that even in the midst of these trials, I need to take a step back. I need to see God for who he actually is, and I need to see the world for, actually how, for how it actually is. So again, as, as you sit here today, I want you to ask yourself, how would you feel in a situation like that? Hearing my story, hearing the, the different ways that I've processed, how would you process that? You have someone smiling at your face, but then trashing you behind your back. What direction do you go? Would you do what I would do when I was younger? Would you go outside, find a pitchfork? and then go and wander around and find a mob to, to walk with you down the street? Or would you respond differently in a situation like this? And I can tell you, it's not just this specific scenario that I'm talking about. It could be any point in your life that someone's deeply hurt you. It could be any point. How have you responded to those situations? Where was God in the midst of it when you were responding to those situations? At the end of our time today, do you leave as you walk out these doors? After we studied this psalm, I want you to evaluate that question. How do you respond and how should you respond in these situations? Go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, God, we are so grateful to be here. 
so grateful to be able to gather together to worship you, not only in song, but in um, studying your word, being able to fellowship. It's just wonderful to be able to do that, God. And I pray as we get to go through this psalm today, this beautiful psalm that you put on David's heart to write, God, I pray that you would help us to see you more clearly. God, that you would help us to see how we are supposed to respond more clearly and how we're supposed to see you. God, we just love you and praise you for all you do. Amen. So as you've heard several times now, um, I have the privilege to go through Psalm 62 with all of you. And from it, I pray, I pray that each and every one of us, not just you, me as well, would leave here with a completely different perspective of situations like what we just talked about. Not only a different perspective of responding to people, but understanding God in a deeper way, like I was just praying. <clears throat> Before we get into the psalm itself, I want to go over a couple stories in David's life. Um, I think it, it helps paint a picture better if we understand this guy that, that's writing this psalm. So if you didn't know, David's life was absolutely insane at times. Not at times. I feel like the majority of his life, if you go through Scripture, is just... It's, it's, sometimes it's hard to read. The man that penned these words that we're going to be studying today... Not only was he betrayed, he was lied to, he was hunted down, he was run out of his kingdom, uh, you name it, and honestly, it probably happened to David. If you start in Psalm, or Samuel, 1 Samuel 19, um, Saul, who was king at the time, tried to kill David. I'm sure most of you probably knew that. But then did you know that he stopped? And then he tried again. And then he stopped, and then he tried again. And then from here, you see kind of a shift in the story because you see David sparing Saul's life. And you're like, wow, that's so cool. Look at the story shifting. Nope. And then Saul tries to kill him again. And then David spares his life again. And then he has to flee. And then he was rejected. Then Saul finally dies. And again, we're like, oh, cool. All right. Saul's dead. That bad guy. He's gone. David becomes king. This is great. Um, yeah, no. His life just, it just keeps going. It's like a spiral. We can, I'm going to skip past a whole bunch of, of craziness that happened in his life. But in 2 Samuel, we see David's third son, Absalom, not only lie to David, smile at his face, but then he betrays him, and he completely turns the kingdom against David and then forces him to flee the kingdom that he loves. Yeah, and then if you go a little bit further back with Absalom, um, he killed one of David's other sons, because that son did terrible things to his daughter. And, I mean, talk about soap opera, right? I feel like they, they seriously need to make, like, a daytime TV show about David's life. What a, what a crazy story. And to be David within the midst of this story, because this isn't a story, right? This is an account. This actually happened. This is truth. So to be David in that, I can't even imagine so I know this was a, a whole lot of story prior to getting into the psalm, but I, I really, I wanted to put ourselves in David's shoes. I wanted us to think through this, this unreal story. I want us to think about how that had to have felt. And then his responses to those things happening in his life. 
So getting back or getting into our psalm for today, we're going to start with verse 1. And I decided to put three different translations of this verse up here because I think it's, it's important to see the different ways that it is worded. In the ESV, it says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. And the CSB says, I am at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. And then the NIV, truly, my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. I feel like that's such a beautiful way to start this psalm that David's writing. Because no matter where David is in his life at this point, this introduction, I feel it says it all. My soul is at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him, comes from God alone. This is, this is a definitive statement that David's making. We don't have to have context. We truly, in the Psalms, I've been told, like, you don't want to try to put timelines necessarily against it because you don't, you don't fully know with each of these Psalms what was happening and where and when and why, and that's okay. We don't have to have context for this very first verse because it says it all. The thing we know is that there is rest. Because we know our salvation is secure. There's rest in this understanding that no matter what, no matter what, God is the one in charge. He is the one that secures us, that holds us, that gives us that rest. So seeing the different translations here, we we can clearly see the reason for David's comfort. We can see the reason for his rest. His rest comes from the understanding, it comes from the comprehension of his salvation. It's not about his temporal circumstances. We're going to see some of that here shortly, but at this very first verse, not what he's talking about. He's at rest in God alone. And it's, it's only by God and through God Salvation comes. No matter what craziness happens in this world, no matter what happens, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we have full rest. We have full security knowing we're safe. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you understand, acknowledge that you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you understand this, You are safe. You are secure in God. This place right here that we're living in, this is temporary. This isn't our home. We're just passing through this place. In our lives, it should reflect this understanding David had of comfort, of rest and salvation. Not the world or what's happening around us. Just from this very first verse, I'm reminded of Paul. Paul in Philippians 4, 10 through 13, in my mind, one of the most mistranslated, misused verses in Scripture, says this, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need for... I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. 
I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So Paul, in this passage, in no way in this passage is he saying, I can do whatever I want because of Jesus. That's not what he's saying. He's saying he is content in all things because of Jesus. He's content. Like even from the first words here in the psalm, that's, that's what David's trying to get at. This is the type of rest and comfort that he's talking about, that in, in any situation, God, we know we are secure in you. I am content in all things because I know I am secure in my salvation in you. Especially knowing David's life, knowing what he went through, changes perspectives a little bit. My soul finds rest. I'm content because I know where my salvation lies. I'm secure in my salvation. And he doesn't stop here, though. He keeps going. He continues in verse 2 and says this, He alone is my rock, my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. So he alone is my rock. He alone is my fortress. He alone is my protection. Not, not because the world can't attack us. Like we said at the beginning, within all of this, this does not mean that we cannot be attacked. Because of the salvation he was speaking of previously, because of this, he knows that he's because of this comprehension of salvation, we shall not be greatly shaken. No matter what the enemy does to us, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the torture. It doesn't matter the pain. We know we're secure in the fortress of God. We know we're secure in our salvation and what he's done for us. He is the one that we stand on. I love the, the colorful language that David's using here because I feel like it really helps it come to life. Because when we think about a solid rock, when we think about a firm foundation, a fortress, we immediately, at least I do, I, th I think of an unmovable force. Something that's going to stand the test of time no matter what comes its way. It made me think of Matthew 7, 24 through 27. It's a parable that Jesus was sharing. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. What a great reminder. Even just from the beginning, we can start asking ourselves the question, is he actually my rock? Is he actually my firm foundation? When the winds of life come, when the storms hit, what is my life built on? Is it God the true firm foundation, the true fortress, or is it something else? 
I think this right here, this is vital to understand and acknowledge before we even hit these next verses. Because these verses right here inform the response and the outcome of these next couple. What we see David saying right here informs these next couple verses, which say this. How long will you, will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence, they only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. So immediately right here, David transitions from a beautiful acknowledgement of true comfort from God, the only true salvation, and a deep recognition of God being the true solid rock. He goes to a look then at those who are attacking him. And these attackers, I think that it's different from those that we might initially think of when we hear the word attacker. Because when I first hear attacker, I think someone like pulling a sword, running straight at me, or someone pulling a gun. That's what attacker is. And I'm not saying that that can't be the case, because obviously, as we saw, saw with Saul, he actually was doing those things. But I feel like more in the context of this passage He's talking about the people that we were discussing at the beginning. Anyone that tries to hurt you, anyone that tries to tear you down, to lie to you, degrade you, talk badly about you. We see in David's story, there's so many examples of people like this. Smiling and blessing with their mouths, but then cursing on the other side of it. In the beginning of verse verse 3 right here, it's not actually asking the question. It's more rhetorical. What's happening needs to stop. This is David talking out loud. What's happening needs to stop. How he was being attacked had gone on too long. These attackers, they take pleasure in all that we had discussed previously. Beating a man down in this way until that leaning wall or tottering fence, it just takes a dive to the ground, unable to stand because of the, the forceful beatdown occurring. Sure, most of you have seen a fence that's that's about on its last limb. It's just hanging there. If you took a baseball bat to it or the wind blew a little bit too hard, it's just gonna hit the ground. This is what he's trying to talk about here. But he continues on and he says this For God alone, oh my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. The NIV says, Yes, my soul, find rest in God, my hope comes from him. And then the CSB, rest in God alone. My soul, for my hope comes from him. So again, David makes a quick transition back and forth to show how great God truly is. Even in the, mix, even in the midst of these attacks that he was talking about, even in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the turmoil, in any of the stories that we talked about previously about David, He gives us the perfect example of how we are supposed to respond to the people that do us wrong. He doesn't come out and go, okay, okay, so listen, God, I love you. You're my rock, my salvation. I find my rest in you. And then go, these attackers, they're right here. Okay, let's burn them to the ground. He doesn't say that. So interesting, though. I feel like at the same time, the way that he, he says this, we get to see a, it's something that each of us do or, or have done 
And, that, and that's praise God, understand who he is, and then we quickly lose sight. We, we lose focus because we're so, we're so worried about the attackers. We're so worried about the brokenness. But then we, we come to our senses and we see God for who he truly is. At times, we don't see the comfort. We don't see the rest in the fortress that we're supposed to, the solid rock. We get bogged down by the attacks. We get bogged down by the pain, the brokenness. He goes from the pain of what they're doing, as I said, to remembering who God is, what he's doing, and what he will do, as we're going to see shortly in this passage. I kind of, I, I love thinking about it in that perspective because we get to see David in a different light. I think we miss it sometimes, the humanity that's there. You have this guy that, yes, he was king, he was, he was a mighty ruler, he was a man after God's own heart, but he was still a broken, messed up person that had, it was going through a lot. He was going through these attacks and saying, God, I trust you, you're my salvation, but these attackers, they're getting me. But God, I still acknowledge you, I still see you. He goes on in 6 and 7 and says this, He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. I really like this because I feel like this is the second mid-text bookend. Kind of like the back-to-back bookend. Um, This time it's, it's looking at the understanding of God being the only firm foundation. Because at the beginning he said, God, you're my comfort, my salvation. Then he says, comfort, salvation. He says, rock, refuge, hope. And it's just, it brings it all together. He's the only rock that's not going to be shaken. Even when the world is the way it is, even when what is done is done, when people are deceptive, when people hurt, they stab in the back, even with all that, God is our hope, our salvation, our solid rock that will never be shaken. And God is my salvation and my glory. It's not about David. It's not about David here. It's not about us in any way, shape, or form. It's about God. It's by God and through God. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. So before we continue into the last couple of verses, I think it's good that we take a second look. We look back at what we were talking about previously. So you have David's son, Absalom, you have Saul, you have all the, the craziness of David's life. But Absalom, he, he was an attacker. His son not only betrayed him, but forced him to flee from his own kingdom. I feel like his son, Absalom, would have been someone I would have wanted to get revenge on so badly, make him pay for what he did. That's just... that it, feels like that's in our flesh. You have someone that did everything he could to betray his own father. That's not how David responds to this. Even in the worst kind of soap opera in his life, David points to and trusts in God. Already, even before ending the psalm, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm already convicted about the way that I respond in hardships, but specifically people who cause those hardships. I want to respond more like David. 
reminding myself of, of my salvation that's secure. He's my comfort in pain. He's the solid rock. And in the end, even though they may try, the, the attackers can never fully destroy me because I am secure in my God and I am secure in my salvation. So David right here, he transitions going from uh, God to attackers back to God. And then now in this next verse, we're going to see that he addresses the people as a whole. So he's kind of giving his thought process here. God attackers God. And then he's like, hey, hey, everyone, listen up. Here we go. This is for you takes everything that was just said, and it connects it to the body, connects it to the people. He says this, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. So David, as we, as we said, talking to the people, is emphatically saying, look at everything I just said. See how God is our salvation. He's our strength. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because the Lord is with me. Even in the brokenness, even in the dark, scary, lonely places, I will fear no evil. He's our rock. He's our fortress. Understand this, O people. Pour out your heart to him. Or in other words, truly go to the Lord in prayer. Understanding what we understand about this, understanding who God truly is, we need to seek him earnestly. He's making a really important point right here. Understanding who God is and then acknowledging the attackers. I feel like David's like, hey, everyone, just an FYI, I can't do this on my own. You can't do it on your own. Give it to God. Go to him. He is the true refuge. Stop trying to do this on your own. When you're being attacked, stop trying to do this on your own. Knowing what you know, stop trying to rely even on the world. Stop trying to rely on worldly things. Trust in the only true rock, the only true foundation. We have to trust in him at all times. This isn't a sometimes kind of thing. This isn't all times. Even when people betray you, we're told to trust in him. When your whole world seems like it's collapsing, trust in him. He goes on to say, verse 9 and 10, those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balance they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. I believe after what we've seen previously, I think this is David trying to put in context the fact that God is bigger and stronger and outweighs any person no matter who they are, no matter what status they have. All men, no matter the social status, are completely inadequate when it comes to God. Be aware of the, the attackers and their methods. Don't be a part of what they're doing. Then he brings into play right here their evil deeds. So no one is above God, and, and, and be aware to put no trust in their evil ways. And I think it's really interesting, actually, the, the evils, the evil ways that David is referencing here when he comes back to the attackers. Number one is extortion. 
The dictionary definition of extortion is gaining something through force of threats. I feel like that sounds like something David went through a couple times maybe. The next one is robbery, which is taking unlawfully by force or threat of force. Another thing. And it talks about possessions. Don't set your heart on these things. Don't set your heart on wealth, on possessions. David right here, he's pointing to God. He's acknowledging the attacks. He's acknowledging the attackers. Then back to God. Then to the people as a whole with a reminder of God and a warning about the attackers. It all comes full circle, right? David does a really good job, actually, of making it all connect perfectly. Then it goes into the last two verses that say this. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. And that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. So this phrase here, this this once-twice phrase, this is actually saying what is being said is true. It's basically all it's getting at. What is being said is true. It's sure this is trustworthy. So he's saying, this right here, this is trustworthy. It's sure that all power belongs to God. All of it. To him belongs the true steadfast love, and he will render according to works. Not us being the judge, jury, executioner. God is the one with all the power. His love endures forever. Knowing this, I can take refuge in him. I can trust him. Wait for my salvation in silence. Wait in comfort. So I I think I need to clarify this, though. This is not saying that salvation itself comes by works. We need to acknowledge that. But as James says, we studied James, uh, I I guess that was a couple years ago, was it? I don't know. We studied James at one point. James says, faith without works is dead. So if you claim Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you never live that out, what that looks like, you're not a true follower. That sounds like a harsh statement, but it's absolutely true. You're claiming Jesus, but you're not living your life desiring to do those things, desiring to to do what he asked us to do, then that's the case of it. This right here, this passage, it, it points to God sorting out who is who. This is a confidence to believers, and this is a warning to the unfaithful. Again, it, it feels like just another full circle thought from David, just putting everything in perspective, the, the psalm as a whole. Because no matter what the attackers do, the power belongs to God. No matter what they do. He's the only one with the true steadfast love. He's the one who will deal with the attackers. He's the one that will deal with the the liars, the conniving backstabbers. He is my comfort, my rock, the firm foundation, my salvation, my fortress. And you know, I, I absolutely love the way that David ends this because he ends it with God smack dab in the center. Everything we just talked about, and he just puts God exactly where he needs to be. The one in charge, the one in control. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we, we're secure in God. He is our fortress and our foundation. He is our solid rock. 
We're not and can never be that. Even if we try. That's building our house on the sand and it's going to get blown over every time if we try to do this ourselves. We have to build on that firm foundation. So think about the story at the beginning. I want you to think about the answers to those questions. How would you respond to that person? And, and now that we've seen David and his responses and his reflection, how should you respond to that person that has done you wrong, that's hurt you? How do you feel now hearing these words coming from David who went through, I'm, I'm guessing David probably went through more than most of us in this room have, probably combined. Knowing that, how should we respond? We need to know that God is in charge. Without that thought, without that understanding, it all falls apart. He is in charge. He's the true fortress. Knowing that right there, does that change the way that you respond? Because it, it sure has for me. It's been a really good passage for me to go through. It, convinced me, it convicts me that I need, to, I need to focus on the Lord. I need to focus on Him and not what people are trying to do to me. It makes me desire to honor the Lord with my life. Honor Him with my responses. Even in those times where, where we can see him, we can acknowledge his salvation, but then we lose sight, coming back to him at the end of it, coming back to him, remembering who he is. We need to show people this love. We need to show them his love by loving them, even when they don't deserve it. And that's hard. That's not an easy thing to do gives me a deeper love for the Lord knowing that he's actually in charge and I'm not quite freeing. But it really makes me take a hard look at the way I respond to people, how I treat them. How am I treating them because of the way that they're treating me? So as we leave here today, I want you to think about these things. I want you to think about the way that you see others the way you talk about others. Even those people that have hurt you, even those people that have done terrible things to you, how do you see them? You know, even going back, for those of you that heard um, my sermon last week, this, this has been a really, really hard thing for me to process, even with my biological dad, for those of you that, that heard that story. Um, but it, it gives it a new perspective that God is in control even over those situations that I am not the one that is in charge here. I am not the one that is the judge, jury, executioner. And my responsibility is to show that man the love of Jesus Christ even when he doesn't deserve it. That is, should be our response. And I feel like that is the response that David is talking about here. You see him as your firm foundation. You see him as the one that has you, saved you, who loves you. And even if you're being attacked, 
you still see God for who he is. Knowing he has you even when the world's against you. All right, let's pray. Dear God, uh, thank you again for time with you. Getting to see you more clearly. Getting to acknowledge your majesty and your wonder that uh, we can trust you with everything. God, even when we are being attacked, um, God, you're in charge. We're called to respond differently as your people. We're called to respond differently so people can see you. Because it's not about us. It's not about what we are doing or what we have done. It's not about us being the bigger man and, and being able to turn the other cheek. God, it's, it's about you and pointing them back to you. I pray as we leave here, we would respond differently. We would desire to respond like David did. See you as comfort, rock, foundation, or God, that you are our salvation. 